Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. I want to turn your attention now to the book of Leviticus, if you'd like to stand. I'm just going to read one passage of Scripture. I, I, I'm not going to do a lengthy reading tonight, but I really feel this message on my heart. And I don't know who I'm preaching to. I don't, I just, I don't, God doesn't ever work that way with me. I look out on a crowd and I think, God, is, is this for anybody? Is this for anybody, folks that have inspired me and Sunday school teachers, CCS teachers, folks I look up to and I think, God, is this for anybody? But I just, I'm a preacher, so I just have to preach. Book of Leviticus chapter number five and verse number 17. I'm just gonna read one verse. And it says, and if a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done, by the commandments of the Lord. That's key. Forbid to be done by the commandments of the Lord. Though he knew it not, wist not, it not. Yet is he guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And I've come to preach tonight about the reality of sin. The reality of sin. And I know what it sounds like. I know it sounds like a heavy message, but it's really not. I've come to encourage somebody. I've come to remind somebody of something very powerful tonight. I've come to stand in the face of a culture that is continually denying a reality of anything. And to say there's still a truth and there's still a reality. I wonder if you could just lift your hands right where you are and just begin to call on the name of the Lord and just ask for His help, His touch, His anointing in this place. God, we want Your will to be done above all else. I pray, God, that You would bless this service. I pray, God, that You would anoint me to speak what You've laid on my heart, God. I'm thankful for this great choir and these music, music team members that have led us into Your presence. And I pray, God, that Your Spirit would be felt in this place. And God, we give You praise and we give You glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with us. You may be seated tonight. Leviticus might be an odd place to turn to on a Sunday night. If you're going to make fun of the Bible, you start in the book of Leviticus. I went to a secular university, and every time somebody decided to make fun of the Bible, they did not turn to Matthew chapter 5. They did not turn to the Beatitudes. They did not turn to the Gospels. They didn't really go much to the New Testament, but they loved to pick on Leviticus. They would say, oh, I can't believe you Christian there. You're wearing that polyester mixed shirt. Don't you know the Bible? Aren't you, aren't you the fundamentalist? Aren't you the one that believes every literal word? How dare you wear that polyester mixed shirt? Doesn't the Bible say you have to wear completely uh, whole 100% cotton shirts or linen shirts? How dare you do that? Or do you eat shrimp, you fundamentalist 
Pentecostal Christian. How dare you? It says it in the Bible. There was a very snarky book in the bookstore called The Year of Living Biblically. You could scratch out that word biblically and just put Levitically there because the only thing the man picked on and the only thing he tried, he didn't try to love everybody. He didn't try to live holy and righteous. He just tried not to eat certain things. He just tried to misinterpret the Bible as much as he possibly could, put it in a book and then sell it for millions of dollars. That's all he was trying to do. So people love to pick on the book of Leviticus. It's not, you don't usually see verses from Leviticus on the daily calendar of scriptural inspiration. You don't turn to January 28th and see, uh, you know, Leviticus chapter 5, 17, that you'll bear your iniquity and think, I feel so encouraged. I feel so lifted up by that. You know, if I bring that sacrifice, and I got to slaughter it just the right way. And you don't see those things on calendars. But I believe, Pastor, you said it this morning, it's all or nothing. I believe that. I appreciated what you said. I believe that. I believe that this word is inspired. Not only do I believe that it is inspired, I believe that it was preserved. I believe that there's a reason why we have the Bible that we have. And I think it's arrogant to believe that we can start editing and messing with God's word because people paid their blood that we might have this book. They paid their blood. They gave their very life that we might read it, that we might understand it. So I, I take everything in the Bible very seriously. And so, to be honest with you, when you ever do the, the kind of read the Bible through, anybody ever get bogged down in the book of Leviticus? You start off the new year, maybe January 1st, and you're in Genesis, and you're rolling with the story, and then Exodus comes, and you're, you're still okay, but then you hit Leviticus, and it's like you, the brakes start squealing on you, you know, screeching. This is getting, this is getting slow. Maybe I'll just do three verses today. I'm just being honest with you. It's, it, it can be difficult. But I believe that the Bible is a difficult book for a reason. The, it does talk about how there's the milk of the word and there's the meat of the word. So there's the milk that's readily accessible to pretty much anybody that can open it up for the first time and read it. I believe the plan of salvation is readily accessible. You can open up Acts chapter 2 and you can understand what is commanded of you to do. It's there. It's there for the taking. It, you, can, you can read it. You can understand it. But there are things in the Bible that are deep things of God. And I think some of you that have lived for God for a little while can testify that you still open up this book, even if you've lived for God 50 plus years, and you still get things from this book. You still come to church and, and listen to the preaching of the Word because God can still teach you some things because you can never exhaust the knowledge and the power that's in this book. You, can, you can't run out of this book. There's help every time you come to its pages. There may be some things, and I, I'm a former youth pastor. That's what I would tell my young people because every time I would stand behind a pulpit and open this book that's several thousand years old and look out in 2020 at a group of teenagers and think, Lord, is this even going to touch them? Is this even going to help them? And so I'd, I'd try to, in, you know, just being real with you, it's, it's how, how do I get them to understand the, the deep things that are in here? So I would encourage them to read it, and I would say, if you don't understand it, just keep reading it. Just keep pushing through because there's going to be something that jumps out at you. And it may take you several times and several years of reading before all of a sudden something begins to come up 
fresh in your life. And God begins, that's just how God works. And he begins to do something new in your life. God's the only one that can bring really new things into your life. So just keep on reading. Just keep on being faithful. Just keep on praying. I don't understand everything. Maybe you're a new convert here. You don't understand about everything about our lifestyle and what we do. Just keep being faithful. And God will bring it up. God will reveal it to you. Because you're never going to exhaust this. You're never going to become a professional Pentecostal. You're never going to become a professional Christian. We always have to stay humbled at the word and saying, God, teach me. God, help me. I want to know what your thoughts are, God. We always have to humble ourselves in prayer. Say, God, what are your thoughts about this? We can't exhaust the the resource that this book is. So God's been dealing with me as I've been walking through, just in my personal devotions, the book of Leviticus. And I believe, and I'm not a detail-oriented person. I'm thankful for people that are. The world needs them, but I'm not one of them. So I'm I'm not very detail-oriented. So I, I, I could get... You could get lost in the details of the book of Leviticus, and there are many details. But just overarching, there is two themes that I see from this book that God just, I'm not saying that's all there are, but this is what God's been dealing with me about. And I almost titled my message tonight, the the two lessons of Leviticus, but I'm really only going to deal with one. But the first one is that God is holy. The holiness of the Lord. And once again, Pastor, I'm referencing your sermon this morning. There's a way to approach the holiness of God. Leviticus lays that out, that God is holy and that you can't just approach him any way. That you cannot take a page off the editorial section and just approach God your way. You have to do it God's way. That's just the message of the book of Leviticus. There are certain rules, there are regulations, and there are things you cannot just approach God. There has to be a way, a truth to approach God. And secondly, the theme, and this is the one I'm going to talk about, is that there is a reality to sin. There's a reality to sin. I'm just going to kind of give you a heads up of where I'm going. If you don't don't have the book of Leviticus, I'm not sure you can understand the cross. If it wasn't in the Bible, I'm not sure we would have any context for what Jesus was doing on the cross. Every word of this book is important. Even the kind we don't like. Even the kind our culture does not like. It's still the truth. It's still the truth. So the reality of sin. This verse deals with that very explicitly, which I think it's repeated over and over. The book of Leviticus is very repetitive. God's wanting us to catch something, wanting us to see something. It says that the soul sin or commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord. Now, God's commandments are not arbitrary. They're not arbitrary. They may feel arbitrary to us, But because he is the creator, they are not arbitrary. He's not just sitting there on a whim making regulations to infringe upon our life. He has a purpose with every word that he speaks. With every word that he allowed to enter into this book, he had a purpose with it. So the commandments of the Lord 
If anyone does something contrary to that, even if they didn't have the knowledge. Now that's, that's kind of strange to me. It stuck out to me. Even if they didn't understand it, they will bear the iniquity. It will still rest upon their shoulders even if the sin was done in ignorance. Because God's laws are not arbitrary. Now, if it was an arbitrary rule, then if you were ignorant, then you just move on with life. But that's not the reality of sin. The reality is that if you, even if you don't understand it, there's still a weight that settles on you every time you transgress the law of God. Every time you step outside of the boundaries that God has set up on purpose, whether you know it or not, whether you feel condemned or not, whether you feel guilty or not, there is a weight that settles on your life because there is a reality to sin. And this flies in the face of our culture because our culture tells us that the only sin that there is are ones that are socially constructed. The only sin that there is is a sin where there's a taboo attached to it. That if you could just stop making me feel guilty, then the sin would be erased from life. If we could just write a certificate to make it legal, then the sin is erased from our life. If we could just get a law passed, if we could just get the Supreme Court to make a decision, then the sin is erased from our life. Can I just be bold here tonight? If we can call abortion health care long enough, then it becomes health care. No, that's just not how it works. Because sin is more than just a semantic. It's more than just a word that we speak. There's a reality to it. Because you could burn every Bible. You could silence every preacher. You could lock the door of every church and sin would still be a problem. You could shut your ear every time this man stands behind this pulpit and begins to preach, but that doesn't make your life work. That doesn't make your life come together. You can plug your ears every time somebody reads from this book. You can rip out pages of this Bible, but it doesn't make the difference with reality because there is a realness. There is a realness because God created everything and he does not have an arbitrary law. He does not have something that he just made up on the fly. But it's how he created you. It's how he created you. There's a reality to sin. There's a reality to sin. But our culture is pushing back on that and saying, Preacher, if you would just stop talking about it, then we wouldn't feel bad anymore. Our life could just go on. Our life could just go on if you could just, if you just silence the pulpits. Just silence the speech. Just stop talking about it. Stop making us feel guilty. Plugging our ears. It doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change what's right. It doesn't change what God established. Because there's a reality to sin. But I'm, I haven't come to preach really about that. I've come to preach about another reality. I've come to preach about something else. I haven't just come. You know this is a church that loves righteousness. You know those things. But the trick of the enemy, for those that do plug their ears and those that do step away from the truth and those that do change what they believe, 
The reality is their life doesn't get better. Their life doesn't get better. Because when you remove sin, you also remove a Savior. Because there is no Savior without a sin. There is no redemption without a first there being a sin. So you erase sin from people's life. You also take their hope. That's true. You, I, know, I have Bible for it if you don't believe me. But you will rob people of the hope if you stop telling them that there's such a thing as sin. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you ever stop preaching against sin, you will harm the people that are listening to you. You will rob them of every answer. You will rob them of every hope. You will rob them of any joy that they could ever have. You will take it from them. It's in the Bible. Because what the enemy does, what the enemy does, don't feel bad about it. Don't feel bad about it. It's just a taboo. It's just what those old stuffy church people tell you. Don't feel, go, go ahead. It gives you license to do it. And then when your life is broken, the enemy comes back and what? The Bible say, accuses you. You're a nobody. You're a nothing. Look at your life. It's a mess. Go ahead, do it. But now look at your life. It's a mess. Go ahead, and, go ahead young people. Ignore your parents. Ignore the pastor. Ignore the youth leaders. But then they're going to come back someday and say, look at the mess you've made of your life. God could never use you. Look at the mess. It's that double standard. It's that double standard. The Apostle Paul knew this. Romans chapter 7, verse number 17. He makes a clear distinction that it's not I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, listen, that sounds kind of like license, but it's not. It's a distinction between who God created you to be and then what sin can do in your life. So even the darkest sinner that walks through those doors, God sees value in. He says, okay, that's somebody that may have sin in their life, but that's not who they are. They are not defined by that sin. They are not defined by that mistake. They are my child and I have purpose for their life. I have purpose for their life. It's not I that do it, but sin, that I am not the mistakes that I have made. Because, because there's a reality to sin. If it's arbitrary, if it's social, then you need the approval of everybody in this room before you can get forgiveness. But it's real. And God can forgive instantly. Instantly. That's why he doesn't compromise with sin because he has the power to overcome it. Why would he compromise with something he can so easily defeat? Because in one moment, God can redeem. In one moment, God can touch. So the moment that sin, the knowledge of sin enters into your life is not the moment sin has entered into your life. It's just the moment you become aware of it. The Bible talks a lot about sin being like a disease. And I want, I want to be very careful tonight because I know there are those that are struggling with disease and never equate sin and disease. But it uses disease as an example, as an illustration. 
So there's a reality to sickness. We can agree to that. Just because the, just because the diagnosis came, that wasn't the point that the disease started. That may be the point you became aware of the disease. Now you could shred that diagnosis. You could plug your ears in the doctor's office. You could say, I, that's not true. But it doesn't change the reality of what's going on in your body. So while that may be a very emotional day, it might be a very terrible day, so to speak. It really is a day that hope begins. Because it's now, okay, now I know what's going on. And now there's a treatment plan that I'm going to take. There's steps that I'm going to take. Now where, where the illustration kind of breaks down, Pastor Mooney always said no illustration is perfect. Where the illustration kind of breaks down is sometimes in the physical there's no treatment plan. But the good news about sin the good news about the spiritual realm is that the treatment plan works every time. It works every time. There's no time when it doesn't work. There's no time when God says, let's try this and see if that works. And if you don't respond well to that, we'll try something else. No, it's just applied to everybody, whosoever will. Let him come and take of the water of life freely because it's just applied. And every time it's applied, it works. To the day you find out I am a sinner. The day you find out I need a Savior. The day you find out I've got problems. That's a good day. That's not a day to hang your head. That's a day to say, now I know what I must do. Now I know where to find the answer. So you need to take courage as a church. Because reality always reasserts itself. You say, oh, oh, Brother Turner, this, we're, we're, we're moving out from the culture. The culture, we're moving out of step with the culture. That's okay because reality is always going to reassert itself. And there's going to come people through those doors that are broken, that are hurting, that have no idea why. Because the world has told them, you, you don't have any problems. They're like, I have problems. You don't have any problems. You just must be a weirdo. You just must be a bad person. You just must not be able to get it together. But they're going to come in. I have problems and they're going to be looking. Is, does anybody still preach the truth around here? Does, does any, is anybody still telling me what I must do to be saved? Does anybody have a message other than just positivity and other just positive thing? I've tried all. Does anybody still have a message? Is anybody still saying that the things are still wrong and that there's still such a thing as repentance? Does anybody have an altar? Does anybody have access to the holy place? And we need to be the church that says we've never changed. We just stood on the apostles doctrine. We have not compromised. We have not yielded, but we still preach the truth. And when they come in, we can say unashamed, we know what you must do. You've still got to repent of your sins. You've still got to be baptized in the only name that handles sin. And you've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost just like they did in the book of Acts. That's still the answer. Anybody believe that? Anybody been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost? Anybody been a former sinner delivered by the power of His Spirit? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The blood still works. The blood still works. Come on, rejoice one more time. Thank you, Jesus, for your touch. Thank you, Jesus, for your power. That's all right to worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.
I wouldn't be here if it was not for your grace. I wouldn't be here if it was not for your mercy. The reality of sin is there is a savior. The reality of sin, there is a solution. There is an answer. Hallelujah. If the music could come, I'm coming to a close quickly. Because I believe that there's somebody in here. And maybe you, you came in not knowing what your problems were. But God knows what they are. And he has the solution. He has the solution. I am tired of holiness churches getting the reputation of being the most unloving church in town. You know, it takes love to have a tough conversation. You know, you know, you know what contempt does? You know what, students, you know what contempt does? It makes you avoid the person. It's, it's, a, it's a contempt for people that just preach smooth things. It's, it's really, I, I think it's even almost a hatred of people. Because you're, you're, it's, it's a wanting a crowd without having to get in and deal with people to really help them. Keep your heart right. Guard your heart. Because it's always got to be about those that you're reaching more than about yourself. Because compromisers of truth care more about themselves than they do the hearer. But God always cares about the hearer. That's why we pray, God, use me. Use me to reach those that you love. To reach those that you died for. To reach those that you paid your life for. Because Jesus takes sin seriously. So seriously, he gave his life for it. So seriously, he shed his blood for it. Because there's a reality. There's a reality out there. And creeds and confessions and synods won't change the truth. Ecumenical conferences won't change the truth. It's forever settled. And those that love the truth, that buy the truth and sell it not, there may be times when we'll face persecution, but there will also be times when people are going to come back so hungry just to feel His touch one more time. Just to come back and say, I, my life is messed up. And I want to know, is there still a solution? That's the reality of sin. There's always an answer. There's always an answer. This world runs out of answers so fast. God never runs out of answers. Never Never, Brother Turner, you don't know what I've done. He knows, and he's never run out of solutions. That's the reality of sin. There's always an answer. Repent. Repent. Ask God to forgive you. There's always a solution. I'm going to give my altar call. It's just going to be a general call tonight. I don't know who I'm talking to. If we could stand all across this place. I, I don't know who I'm preaching to, to crowd of this size there's no way to know even but I believe there's somebody out there dealing with something that you don't even you can't even really understand but you feel the weight on your life this altar calls for you whatever it is impact 
We're impacted by sin on all, all, all different areas. Sometimes it's our sin. Sometimes it's those of our, of our parents. We've heard testimonies of young people that have been affected by other people's sin. You, you've got to give that to God. There's a, there's a real damage there. There's a real wound there. But there's always an answer. There's always an answer. Yes, it's real. Yes, it's a problem. But there's a real answer. There's a real solution found at an altar. Maybe you have lost loved ones. And you want so badly to be able to tell them they're okay. But your approval will not change the reality of their life. The best thing that you can do, now it's uncomfortable, but if you love them, the best thing that you can do is just stand on this word and say it's still the truth. It's still the truth. And when you're ready to come home, I'm still ready to show you the way. I'm still ready to tell you. There's still just one God. His name is Jesus. You can repent of any sin. You can be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. The name of Jesus still works. So if you need to pray tonight, this altar's open.